Well, I appreciate the emphasis this morning on the grace of God. You know, without the grace of God, we can't be saved. Without the grace of God, we can't live the Christian life. And so it's so important when we talk about even uh, in this marriage series, when we consider marriage, when we consider what we're going to consider today in terms of how do you look for a spouse, to remember that the resources that you possess as a believer in Jesus Christ by God's grace. And these are, these are resources you can take advantage of. And we want to talk about this a little bit today because um, last week, one of the things that we mentioned, and we'll continue to, to work on that a little bit this week, is who you marry is going to be the biggest decision that you make in your human existence. Uh, aside from the, the decision that you make to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if there's someone even here today that's never done that and doesn't know that you can, you can have forgiveness of sins, that you can be guaranteed eternal life, um, the Bible has good news. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. That's, that's the good news of the Bible, that God provided a solution for your lack of righteousness and for your death penalty by sending Jesus to die in your place for your sins and to rise again. And all you have to simply do is put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. That's the most important decision you can make in your lifetime. The second most important decision, I believe, is who you're going to marry. That's, that's huge. That's going to impact a lot of the enjoyment of life or the lack of enjoyment of life going forward. And, um, you know, no one, let's just be honest, no one comes out uh, in a dating process and says, you know what, I just want you to know before you get serious about me, I'm going to be a terrible spouse. Like, nobody says that. Like, I'm really going to stink at being a husband. I'm really going to stink at being a wife. I'm going to criticize you in public every chance I get. I'm not going to love you very well. I'm going to scream at you. I'm going to manipulate you. I'm going to basically hate you and then sleep next to you at night. Are you okay with that? Nobody says that, right? And so what we're trying to do, at least this morning and last week, is to give some of the single people in the room who are wanting to walk with Jesus Christ some guidelines to look for. How do you, how do you, you know, not to be too crass, but how do you sniff these things out in people? How can you sniff them out? Because some people, they're gifted in one way. They tell you what you want to hear. They know exactly what you want to hear. They know how to regurgitate that. They know how to speak the lingo. And yet, then you get into a situation, you go, whoa, I did not sign up for this, right? And so, Let's set the stage this morning because I want you to join me in the book of Proverbs. Just turn to Proverbs 1. Just get your Bible open there. We're not going to be in Proverbs 1, but we're going to be bouncing around Proverbs this morning because one of the things that we find about the book of Proverbs, it's a wealth of information about fearing the Lord and about wisdom in life. And wisdom is is the skill or ability to take the knowledge that you possess and to apply it practically in your day-to-day life. And isn't that why we even study the Bible? You know, how many of you have been in a Bible trivia quiz in the last week, month, year? See, we don't study the Bible just to gain knowledge so we can spit it out. Oh, yeah, Methuselah and Jedediah and Obamiah and all these names like we're trying to remember from the church. That's not why we study the Bible. We study the Bible to gain knowledge of the resources you possess in Jesus Christ so that when Monday afternoon hits, you know how to apply it. You know, to put this stuff into practice. Because without that, you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. You're going to fail consistently in life, whether that's finding a spouse, whether that's just living. And so Proverbs provides a lot of teaching on wisdom. 
And because it deals with these practical areas, it's got a lot to say about relationships and characters. So we're going to spend a lot of time this morning bouncing around kind of outside of our normal style. We usually try to stay in one context and work verse by verse. But this morning, we're going to be looking at some principles. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you if you're single this morning is you may not know everything about the person you're interested in marrying, but what you can begin to understand is there are some some character observations you can make to determine what source are they living their life from. That's what you're looking for. What source are they living their life from? And we know from the scriptures there's only two sources to live life from. If you're an unbeliever, you live life from one source. That's from the source of the sin nature. You're dominated by sin. doesn't mean that you do bad things all the time. That's not what it means. It just means the source of life is generally self-focused, self-serving. Even when you're doing something for others, there's still a selfish benefit that you get out of it. The second source is to live by means of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the source that we want to start living consistently by means of. And you see the list in Galatians 5. It it should be a no-brainer. Do you want joy in life? Do you want peace in life? Do you want purpose in life? Do you want to respond gently and with love to other people in life when they mistreat you? Yes, yes, and yes. We we want all that. Do you want to commit adultery? Do you want to get angry? Do you want to out you know get caught up in wrath, a wrathful outburst on people? Do you want to be that person? Well, of course not. You don't want to be that person. And yet What source that you live by faith, who you're presenting yourself to, that's how it's going to manifest itself in your life. And so as a young person, again, we're not looking for somebody perfect. If you you are, you'll never get married, just just saying. And, And quite frankly, let's be honest, if you're... 20 years old and you're looking for another 20 year old on this earth that's quote unquote spiritually mature, you're never going to find that person either. Because maturity comes over long periods of time of walking by faith and being spiritual. Maturity doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't mean that they can't be spiritual at times and carnal at times. They can, but the consistency has to, has to involve time. So you're not going to find a 20 year old, a 22 year old, a 27 year old, a 42-year-old who's spiritually mature. I mean, hopefully that's our goal, right? We want to be more consistent walking by means of the Spirit. So I'm not trying to just shoot down every prospective spouse, and I'm not trying to say they have to perform these things perfectly, but what you're looking for is a consistency. You're looking for a direction of heart. Do they want to walk with the Lord? Do they want to respond to God's word? Or are they blowing those things off? This is kind of what you're looking for. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple of suggestions for men specifically to consider when you're looking for a spouse. I want to look at some suggestions for women when you're specifically looking for a spouse. And then I want to make some suggestions for both character qualities that apply across the stage. And so let's look at the men. And turn with me to Proverbs 21, 9. And one of the things we're going to see here, guys, is... As you're looking for a spouse, you want to you keep your eyes out for contentious women. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it here in a second. But I want to read these three verses. I want you, I'm going to point it out, but I want you to see the progression in these three verses, okay? Proverbs 21.9, let's read it. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Verse 19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And then jump over to 25, 
24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And, and one of the things that we find out about this word contentious is it means strife. It means dissension. It means a verbal quarrel. Okay. She's, in other words, she's a source or an object of continual contention. So how does this play out in real life? Well, ever been to a restaurant with a contentious woman? What does she do? She complains about the waitress. She complains about the food. Now, I'm not saying if you ever complain about the waitress and complain about food, you're a contentious woman. Don't hear me say that. But if this is a consistent thing, everywhere you go, she's sending the steak back because they didn't cook it just right. Every restaurant you go to, there's some major issue that she's making an issue out of. She's being very contentious. She would, she would be contentious at the dry cleaner. She would be contentious at Subway. She would be contentious at the dentist. She would be contentious at the doctor. There's, there's, a, there's a, a character quality of contentious behavior. And that's a mark that she's walking according to the flesh. She's consistently walking according to the flesh. In fact, we see that as a work of the flesh. And did you notice the, the development of movement there for Solomon? First of all, it's better to live three other places. <laughs> I mean, think of what he's saying. If you've got a contentious woman, you're going to wish that you lived somewhere else, okay? It starts in the corner of your house, maybe in the garage or the shed. Some men understand that, not in this room, but across the culture. You see a lot of men, and what do they do when they come home? They immediately go to the garage. They immediately go to the shed. They immediately go somewhere else in the house that their wife is not. And, and then it goes even worse, then it would actually be better to be on the corner of your roof. Like you can't, I, mean, I didn't say this, right? Solomon did. So thank, thank the Lord, I might get in trouble. Solomon said this, it's better to be on the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. And then he goes to number three, you know what? Scratch that, it'd be better to be out in the desert. Like with no water. I mean, we can, we can really develop that illustration. And, and the point is this, I think is, is we've got to understand is that to be with a contentious woman, to, to marry a contentious woman, you are knowingly, like we talked about last week, you are knowingly signing up for misery in your life. That's what the flesh produces. If that's what you want, guys, yeah, she may have a nice smile. She may have beautiful eyes. She may look good in a dress. She may have all of these great things going on about her. But I'm just telling you this, if you sign up for marriage with a woman like that, at some point you're going to be like, you know what? The desert sounds way better than this. And, and you don't know what you're signing up for. So these are the things that we want to understand. You know, 21, Psalm, or Proverbs 19 also described her as an angry woman, a contentious and angry woman. It just means she has a strong feeling of displeasure and annoyance based on a wrong. And you know what? It can be even a perceived wrong. That's where you get in trouble. It is when you do something and it's perceived as wrong, and that's her constant perception is everything you do is in some way harming her, and she reacts in anger. She reacts in a contentious manner. You know, Solomon has more to say, and quite frankly, Solomon is just a riot in this area. I mean, I, he, he kind of knew something about women just because he had so much exposure to them, we learned from the scriptures. Um, but he's just a riot in how he puts this together because 
Why is this so important? You say, well, I can get over that. I mean, she, she really is special. She's beautiful. She's, you know, makes good food. I, she does my laundry. I can get over this contention stuff. And he's going to say this. It's crazy um, because he's going to say that the contentions of a wife are like Chinese water torture. You know, like the dripping, you know, he uses that phrase, the dripping of a faucet. And, and you know, they would actually torture people like this back in the day. I mean, they would drop water on their, you, you've heard this, right? I mean, you guys know this, right? And they would, they would strap these people to a chair and just drop water on their head, and it would make these people go crazy. It was torture. And this is what, what I believe Solomon's kind of describing when he says this. And then in, in chapter 27, verse 15 and 16, we won't read it just for time. He, he's addressing this Chinese water torture comparison to a contentious woman. And then he says, it's like, it's like grasping oil in your hand. In other words, you can't stop her. <laughs> you can, I mean, as much as you try, you cannot stop a contentious woman. And so as a single man, keep your eyes open for this. Trust me, this is not what you signed up for. And you don't want to overlook this flag. Let's move on because we could spend a lot of time on this. You know, the other thing you don't want to just look for is just the beautiful women. Go with me to Proverbs thirty-one thirty. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I used to have this view, unfortunately, when I, uh, when I first started getting really serious about the Lord, I thought, well, if I'm going to marry a Christian girl, I'm just going to have to marry this nerd who's like reading her Bible all the time, and she's not even going to be pretty. She's going to be like 800 pounds overweight. And, but no, I mean, God, can, God wants you to be physically attractive. So I'm not saying that, hey, guys, don't marry a beautiful woman. No, I mean, what you want to find is both. <laughs> A beautiful woman and a spiritually minded woman, right? You want to get both. You want, to, you want that whole package. Um, and thank God I got one of those, you know, and, and I praise God for that. But they exist. They're out there, and that's what you're looking for. So don't get distracted by beauty. Proverbs 31, 30 says this, charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And what we see is, is this, this dual description of this type of woman. By the way, as a single girls listen to this, just whatever I'm saying, be the opposite. How about that? So you got to get some instruction as we're going to. Be the opposite of this. Understand that this describes you today. It doesn't have to describe you tomorrow because you've got resources in Jesus Christ. You can start depending upon the Spirit of God and start growing spiritually so that you don't manifest these qualities. You become a woman um, who, who's got great value in the sight of a spiritually minded man and what they're looking for. And that's where we want to go. But, you know, the first description we have is this, is this kind of verbal description. She's She's charming. Women, uh, women can be very charming, but the problem is, is that charm, and I say it here in the notes, that women can put on charm thicker than syrup. Not, not all, but some, some women can, and that's just the truth of, of the nature of the carnality of the world that we live on, live in, and, and they know what to say, and they know how to say it, and then how to bat their eyes, and then how to smile and wink. And, and certain women have perfected this quality. It's a carnal quality, but they've perfected the quality. And so it's something that you want to be careful of. And that's why I, I have in the notes, too, it's, it's really um, important when you start to get serious about uh, a person, a man, when you start to get serious about a woman, don't, 
don't get engaged and then introduce her to mom and dad. It really puts mom and dad in an awkward position if they've got something negative to say at that point. Introduce them early on. Involve your family, involve your parents, involve the people that know you the best because they're going to see through a lot of things that you're getting distracted with, with the eyes and the smile and the makeup and the dress. They're not going to care about any of that. They're going to be looking at character and they're going to see some of this charm um, is not... Uh, the real thing. In fact, it says charm is deceitful. And that just means that you don't see the real her. And, and, and if I can just convince young men of one thing, please be convinced of this, that you may not be seeing the real her. Please understand that you want to see the real her before you say, I do. And sometimes your family, your friends can see things that you can't because, again, you're naturally distracted by her beauty. This is why I think Solomon says that. It's really easy to get enraptured uh, with beauty. The second thing we see is this description of her visual um, beauty. And, And he uses this word, it's passing. It comes from the word meaning idle. Uh, It's a fashion object. And the focus is really on its lack of value meaninglessness, emptiness, futility. And you know, one of the things, and everybody who's married, been married for a number of years, you know this to be true, but let me just bring this up. You know what? That beauty absolutely gets you nowhere in the daily trenches of day-to-day life. You, you can't, your car doesn't break down and you just say, you know what? I'm just going to send my wife out there in that white dress and the car is going to fix itself. That doesn't happen. Or I get fired from my job. You know what? I'm just going to send my wife out there to smile at my boss and he's going to give me my job back. Beauty doesn't go anywhere in the day-to-day trenches of life. You need a woman, guys, that's going to trust the Lord. You need a woman that's going to encourage you to trust the Lord when you don't want to trust the Lord and you're thinking of all the the self-reliant strategies that you can come up with to provide for your own needs when God wants to provide for your needs. And that woman's going to say, no, hon. You need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. Let's pray about this. Let's spend some time just encouraging one another to look to the Lord. This situation looks bad, but our God is big. We can trust him. That's the kind of woman you want. That's the kind of woman you, you need. You don't need somebody that looks good in, uh, in makeup or in a certain kind of dress or has a pretty smile. I mean, it's again, if you can get the whole package, get the whole package, Right? But I'm just saying this, the most important thing is this, because beauty uh, is passing, it fades. The other thing that we, we see oftentimes is beauty causes women to become more self-focused. A lot of the society conforms women into that mold, and so it causes them to take uh, more, more of a, a care and a focus on either their looks or their figure or whatever, what have you. And I think this generation takes more pictures with the camera facing the wrong way than any generation before. And it's indicative of that self-focus, that desire to be beautiful, that desire to be validated on social media, whatever it is. I mean, there's just so many different ways that that plays itself out. But this is, guys, uh, not something you want to get caught up in. Third, go to Proverbs 12.4. Guys, you want to be careful with disrespectful women. Proverbs 12.4 says this, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Again, Solomon doesn't hold back uh, <laughs> any description. He's kind of got some really good verbal description there. Causes shame means to humiliate, uh, to bring shame upon, to cause disgrace. And notice where it destroys a man. 
Go back to 12.4. Where's it destroy him? It's rottenness in his bones. It means it, it comes from within. It destroys him. It damages him from within. And, you know, what's really fascinating about that, uh, it, I mean, not too fascinating, but what's really fascinating about that is, is many women, due to their own insecurities and background and, and, and upbringing, is they will actually tear down the man in their life in order to build themselves up. And those are the kind of things, as a guy, you want to be looking for. So how does that kind of play out? Well, pay close attention to how she treats her father. That's... It's a really good indicator of how you may be treated one day. Pay close attention to how she treats her grandfather, how she treats her, her brothers. Again, you're going to uh, get that treatment at some point, whatever that is. And, and so girls who are here, take that into account. You know, as, you, as, as spiritually minded men are going to be looking for those kind of things because those are ways that you're training yourself to treat your future husband. Okay, and so this is, this is one of those things, guys, you want to kind of keep an eye out. I remember uh, a girl, a young gal I knew, and I used to eat dinner with her family, and every time her dad or grandfather said something at the dinner table, she rolled her eyes. That's a good indication. It's just no respect, no honor for them. And guess what? To, to think that she's going to treat dad and grandpa that way, and she'll never treat me that way. Again, man, you need to move out. You know, you're living next to Pollyanna. You're living in some world that doesn't exist. That's exactly how you're going to be treated someday. There's going to be a time where that becomes you. You know, look for, as you're, as you're dating or as you're courting, or as you're spending time, does this girl look for opportunities in public? Does she wait for things in public to criticize you, to criticize others, to drop some kind of subtle, you know, as they say, to, you know, casting shade. They're, it's this really subtle, passive-aggressive attempt at casting shade. I remember when I was playing baseball in Boise, Idaho, and there was a, this, this wasn't a girl thing. This was a fan um, for the other team. And I remember in the first inning, I made an error. And the rest of the game, all through all, all nine innings, this fan would wait till it got really quiet and then he would say, hit a ball to the shortstop. And he would just, every time it got quiet, he would have some kind of negative criticism of me. And we're talking about in front of like 5,000 people. But he would just wait for it to die down. And then he would scream some, hurl some insult at me when it got really quiet. And it was really embarrassing. I mean, nine innings, I'm out there. I'm just like, man, I'd pull my hat down so no one could see me, you know. I just felt like crawling under a rock. But, you know, many times when we, when we look at this kind of this shame, this humiliation, there, there are certain girls um, that, that Solomon warns against to say, look out for them when they wait for it to get quiet to humiliate you in big ways in public. Drop little subtle comments that, that they can even plausibly deny later on. And that's kind of what you're looking for. And again, how does she respond to, and this is just another measurement, how does she respond to in public and in private those who are in authority over her? If she's got a pattern of disrespect for them, She's been training herself to provide that to you when you become her husband. So just be aware of those things. These are very practical things that you can look for. Again, I said Solomon is, is funny in the way that he describes things. Go to Proverbs eleven twenty two. Proverbs eleven twenty two says this, As a ring of gold in a swite, uh, swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. So, I'm, I mean, I'm so glad Solomon says this stuff and I don't have to because it's like really could get us in a lot of trouble. But 
Um, what, I, what I think he's describing here is really simply this. Um, discretion is, is the idea of discernment. Um, discretion is good judgment. It's a facet of wisdom. It's a capacity for understanding. And so what are you looking for here, guys? Well, you're looking for somebody that doesn't learn from their mistakes. They just keep plowing ahead, doing the same wrong carnal things, and then expecting different results. Like, that's the very definition of insanity, right? To do the same thing over and over again that doesn't work and expect different results. That's insanity. That's not wisdom. And when you begin to see this develop, or, or somebody that goes to Bible study or studies the Bible, learns all this biblical truth, and that just has no ability to apply the truth or even see the connection to truth in their life, justifying sinful attitudes, actions, behaviors, because that's just how they feel, and never letting the Bible instruct their decisions, their thinkings, their, their emotions. That's what we're talking about here. And, and this word is an interesting word, discernment, because it described the use of taste buds to distinguish and enjoy flavor. And, and imagine going through life, tasting food, and not even having the ability to distinguish and enjoy flavor. And that's how this woman, this type of woman who lacks discretion is described. She lacks this ability to actually discern what's good, what's bad, what's spicy, what's not, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. And you see this constant outflow. And, and, and Solomon's like really, he doesn't mince words. He's like, you might as well just put a ring of gold in a pig's nose or put lipstick on the pig and, and say, man, you know, that, that's beautiful. It's not, it's a pig. It's, it's not beautiful. It's, it can never be beautiful. And so he says, be careful with that. So that was a couple of principles for, for men. For women, um, one of the things, and we'll stay right here in Proverbs 12, is, is women, you want to be careful of lazy men. And I'm going to tell you, they exist in abundance, okay? In fact, the laziest men are really good at convincing you that they're not lazy. So you've got to be really careful. There's some deceit involved here. But Proverbs 12, 11 says this, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. And we look at this, uh, this first man described as the one who tills his land. He'll be satisfied with bread. Just remember, we're talking about an agricultural society. And it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of work to be a successful farmer. You don't just show up on day one, throw some seeds in the ground, and then show up three months later and water it, and then show up three months later and pick it out of the ground. It doesn't work that way, right? It's, it's a daily, almost hourly, moment-by-moment care uh, for crops. And when he says he's uh, tilling, he, he, he's emphasizing that he spends a lot of energy doing this. And when he says he's satisfied with bread, it means that he's providing for his own needs. He's He's taking responsibility for for his responsibilities. He's not expecting somebody else to bail him out of decisions that he's made. He's taking initiative. He's he's working hard to pay his bills, to provide his food. He's not looking to mom and dad. He's not looking to the government. He's not gaming the system. He's not figuring out, okay, I can get unemployment for this amount of time. I can do this. And just walking around gaming the system. That's a lazy man. Lazy uh, men who work hard don't think that way. They think, oh, I don't have a job. I better go get a job. Or I've got this job and I'm not going to make enough. I'm going to go get two jobs because I'm going to provide. And that's the kind of thing, women and ladies, that you're looking for. 
The implication is this man will take care of his responsibilities. Now, on the flip side, the second man is described as a lazy man. He says, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. And you know, one of the things that we see about this word frivolity, it means vain things. It means empty things. It means worthless things. And the word follow means to pursue or to chase hard after. That means they're not just somebody that likes to have fun once in a while, but this is something they pursue and chase after as a course of life, as a manner of life. And, and I want to be really careful here um, because this is one of those areas where I feel like if I give too many applications, I can go way past what this truth is communicating. But let me just put it this way. If you've got a man who only wants to do fun things with his free time all the time, if you've got a man that's still spending eight, 10 hours a day playing video games, if you've got a man that's doing uh, eight, 10, or you know, 10 uh, weekends out of the year, hunting deer, crafting his own beer, I mean, just throw the hobby in there. And it's not to say you can't have hobbies. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that this is what they're chasing hard after in life. They're all about frivolity, things that don't mean anything. And guess what? If that's their mindset, fun, 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 six flags every day, you know, and pizza every night or whatever. I mean, just kind of this mindset of fun, 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 fun. The problem with that mindset is this. When a man is walking by means of the Spirit of God, God wants to direct that person's focus out to other people. He wants that man to begin to fulfill the one another's of scriptures in a local church. He wants that man to fulfill the one another commands of scriptures to his wife, to his children, to other people, his neighbors. And if you've got a man that's only thinking about fun and devoting his energy to that all the time, it's an indication to you he's not spiritually minded. Now, he could say, oh, I, I love Bible study. I, I, I looked up this Greek word last night. You're like, ooh, wow, spiritual guy, right? But what I'm saying is if you see this pattern, understand that may be an indicator the guy's not spiritually minded. And it's something to pay attention to. I like goofing off and having fun more as much as the next guy, right? But that shouldn't be the dominating factor and emphasis and focus of a man's life. And that's the point that we see, I think, in this verse. Paul um, says that they're devoid of understanding. They lack what we would say, lack a true compass. They're without heart. And Paul also goes on to talk about these types of men in the New Testament. Second Thessalonians, basically, if they don't work, they don't eat. You got a lazy man, don't even feed them. Let them starve. Because eventually that, that, that feeling in the stomach when they're starving might motivate them to do the right thing and start taking responsibility. And so women, just be careful. Be careful because these men exist. They're out there. They're very good uh, at selling um, a bunch of stuff. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to jump out of um, Proverbs for just a second, and we'll go right back. Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things, women, you want to look for is, is men who are unwilling to sacrifice. That's a, that's a red flag because part of their role as husbands in Ephesians 5.25 uh, describes just that. In fact, look at Ephesians 5.25. We're going to cover this in more detail uh, next week, by the way. But 
husbands, it says, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so how did Jesus Christ love the church? Well, he gave his very life for her. He was willing to lay down his life for her. Not, hey, I'll get to that. Give me 15 more minutes. I'll f- I want to finish, you know, Sports Center, right? It's not, it's not always pushing your wife off so I can get what I want. And so these, these kind of things show up in dating relationships if you pay close attention. Verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And so how does this show up in a potential spouse? Very, very important. Just some, just some ideas for the ladies to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, here's a great one. Do you always have to do the things that he wants to do? in the way that he wants to do it, okay? Look over your relationships. Those of you that are married that broke off relationships before you got married to your dream spouse who you're married to now, I I hope. I hope that's right. I hope it's thriving and just like going great. Um, But think about the relationships you've broken off. Do do you notice some of these trends in those relationships? You know, um, maybe when you guys go out uh, to eat, you always eat where he wants to go. You ever notice that? I hadn't even thought about that. Maybe you always do the activities that he wants to do. Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I should pay attention to that if I'm a lady. Um, Are you taking up his hobbies, but he's not taking up your hobbies? And you know what, guys? Yeah, you you can survive a couple hours in Joanne Fabrics. You can survive a couple hours in Hobby Lobby. You can survive a couple hours in Walmart. It's not going to hurt you. Trust me. I've gone in. I've survived. I lived. I made it out. All right? And I, even, and, I was, and I even felt okay after a while going into those places, right? <clears throat> so, so you're looking for a guy that's willing to sacrifice. Of course I don't. You know, the question from Carrie, do you want to go to Hobby Lobby with me? The answer is always the same. No. I, I don't want to, but I will, right? I will. So I don't say no anymore. That's, you know, I'm growing, hopefully, a little bit in marriage. I don't say no anymore. I say sure. But why do I say that? Because I know that she wants me to go. I know that she actually likes me there pushing the cart, having conversation, enjoying the time, right? That's, and I'm not trying to lift myself up as sacrificial. She could give you 10 more examples where I do say no. Um, But here's the point, girls. This is what you're looking for. You know, as, as you start to see this consistent pattern play out, And a guy, you need to take note of that. Don't say, well, after we get married, he'll probably be more sacrificial. It doesn't typically work that way. Usually, unfortunately, it gets worse before it gets better. Um, And so just kind of take that uh, to mind. Here's another thing. If something's important to you, does he make every effort to accommodate your desire? If I just ask, why wouldn't he do that? That's, That's the easiest thing in the world to do, as long as it's within his power. Why wouldn't he accommodate the things that are important to you? Even if, if they don't make sense to him, why wouldn't he do that? If he's a spiritually minded man, he's going to want to do that. And it doesn't matter if it's for you as his prospective spouse. It doesn't matter if that's for his mom. It doesn't matter if that's for a friend. His mindset is, yeah, I can be put out for somebody else. I'm okay with that. Because you, that's a reflective of a mindset of somebody that's walking with the Lord. 
Is he willing to sacrifice his free time to help you with something? Or is his free time sacred? Like, don't even touch my free time. If you try to interject yourself into my free time, I mean, it's going to be like World War, <laughs> World War Three. Sorry, Cody. We were t- Cody this week. We were talking about something. He's like, yeah, it's like World War Nine, and we were like, where'd all the other wars go in between? But. <laughs> He was saying that for emphatic emphasis, and so I almost went World War Nine. But yeah, some people turn their free time into World War Nine. You know, like they can't, they just, they won't give that up. That's an indicator that a man is not willing to sacrifice for you, ladies. And trust me, the Bible says you're worth it to be sacrificed for. And you know what? Every dad in the room of daughters says amen to that. My daughter is worth it. I want a man for my girls that's willing to sacrifice for them. And everybody says, amen, right? That's what we want. And so girls, you gotta understand, this is biblical. This is biblical. You wanna find a man who's willing to do this. One other just kind of measurement, does he prioritize his schedule when he's making his own? Um, does he take into consideration your schedule? I mean, that, that is a major area of conflict in marriage when both of you are just lone rangers doing your own thing, and then there's conflict in schedule. So is he starting to even consider your schedule in that way? You know, a third principle we want to look at for women is a harsh-tongued man. And go to, go to Proverbs 15. Let's go back to Proverbs for this one. Proverbs 15. Let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 4. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. And then jump down to verse four. This is where we'll focus. A wholesome tongue uh, is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks uh, the spirit. So let's look at the the end part of verse four first. This this concept of perverse um, perverseness in your tongue and what it what it accomplishes. First of all, the word um, perverseness just means falsehood. Uh, it means deceit. And these are words that are spoken that are, that are crooked and perverted from the truth. They're false. And um, I think the way that you see this work itself out is, is, girls, there's some men who can take any situation in life and spin it in such a way um, that makes them look good and makes you look bad. They can, they can spin a tale. They can flip the facts in a case and make you feel like trash and make them look like the only reason they ever made a mistake is because you came into their life, right? And there's these harsh, uh, perverse, um, deceitful words. And, you know, there's a way with crooked and perverse words, as we see from this text, that make people want to give up. It just breaks their spirit. It just absolutely breaks their spirit. This word breaks, it means to cripple. Uh, it speaks of, a, of an injury that goes on and on that just fractures you and impacts you in a lasting way. And, and you just, you know, whoever said that saying long ago, you know, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They're, that's the dumbest worldly wisdom I've ever heard. Words do hurt and words do crush and words do destroy. And they fracture according to this verse. And, you know, one of the ways that you can kind of look out for this type of man, look at the women in this young man's life. Look at his mom. 
Look at his grandma. Look at his sisters. Look at his aunts. Look at whoever he has interaction with on, a female, on the female side of his family and see how they're responding to him. Do they interact with him? Has he already broken their spirits? How do they respond to him? Do they try to get away from him when he's in the room? Do they spend any extra time with him? These are the kind of things that you're looking at because however he treats mom and grandma and, and sisters and aunts and female cousins and, and the way that he's harsh-tongued or perverse in his, in his language, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. And so you want to kind of notice these things. These are very practical things that you can kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, unfortunately, this happens in marriage. And, and you know what? It's not physical abuse, but it's a lot of emotional and verbal abuse. And that is going on in probably more marriages than we even know. And so I, I just encourage you this, ladies, if you see this in a prospective spouse, address it with them. Recognize it as a red flag. It's a red flag. You don't want to live in this setting. It's, it's not worth it. Um, and so we want to understand that. On the contrast, there's wholesome words that encourage. That's what verse 4a also tells us. The wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Uh, wholesome means calmness. It, it's an attitude or behavior that's not harsh in word or deed. And the, and the point is this. There's a loving and gentle way to communicate with somebody. And that's what you're looking for in a prospective spouse. Even when they disagree with you, there's still a loving and, uh, and gentle way to communicate some, with somebody. Uh, again, their whole goal, hopefully in a communication, is not winning an argument or putting you in your place, but just treating you with honor and respect. That's the goal of any kind of conflict. So these are some things that you're looking for. Now, for both uh, men and women, we want to look at some general principles that apply across the board. Okay, so nothing specific for either gender, but both genders would apply here. And that's a deceitful person. Let's go to, for that, let's go to Proverbs 19 and verse 1. Proverbs 19, 1, it says, Better is the poor uh, who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And, you know, this phrase perverse in his lips means they're morally crooked, they're, they're warped. Um, I like this phrase, through distortion of facts. You know, there's some deceit to them. There's, there's a way that they spin facts to, to benefit themselves instead of just giving the whole truth. They've got a certain way that they, they can warp things and warp situations. And these types of people will do this every chance they get. They, they, they kind of get a thrill out of it. They score some points if they can talk down their bill or they can, they can talk down this or they can get this for free or lie about it. It's like people that go to like Chili's and, and just because they're in the mood for dessert, they're like, yeah, hey, it's my birthday. Oh, okay. Here's your cake, you know. I mean, this is just ridiculous. You know, it's, just, it's little simple things like that. But if you, you see a consistency of this, there's a deceit. To that person. And that's one of the things that when you look at a deceitful person, you got to understand if they deceive others, what do you think is going to happen one day with you? They're going to deceive you because they get some kind of thrill out of it. People who are walking by means of the flesh are going to get a thrill out of deceit. They're going to get a thrill out of pulling one over on whoever they can pull one over on. And so this is one of those types of things that we want to keep an eye on. In fact, it, he goes on to say in, in Proverbs 19.1, better is the poor who walks in his integrity. And I think it's just simply put, life's a lot more easy if you just do what you say you're going to do. If you just tell the truth and just own up to the responsibilities. And that's why uh, the next 
uh, character quality you want to look at. We're going to turn to Proverbs 28 for this. But you know what? You want to look for an accountable person. You want to look for somebody who's willing to take accountability for their actions. And I know, I know I'm putting a lot on a young person here um, because I was a young person. I still am, and I, and I still don't like to be held accountable, right? Who, who, who here likes to be told that they're wrong or doing something wrong? Okay, I see those hands up in the back. No, I'm just kidding, right? I mean, nobody, nobody like actually enjoys that, I don't think. I mean, it may be on the, on the backside when we realize that it's helpful to us, we enjoy it, we appreciate it, but nobody likes it in the moment, right? Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. But notice Proverbs 28, 13, and, and we need to, those of us in this room who fit into this category now need to take heed to the word of God. This is not going to benefit you. Don't try to make yourself look better than who you are. Just be who you are and grow spiritually. Just be who you are. 28.13. Don't fake it until you make it. He, he, covers, he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You know, can this person that you're dating, this person that you're interested in spouse, can they admit that they're wrong? Can they admit when they do something wrong? Very important. Look for that. Pay close attention to that because he who covers his sins will not prosper. This word cover means to intentionally hide. There's, there's intentionality here to be deceitful and to cover up sin. That's what we're talking about here. The one who does this is not going to succeed, won't accomplish anything, and, and quite frankly, is going to take you down like an anchor on your boat with them. That's what's going to happen. Because guess what? Now that he or she is failing and you're married to them, now they're going to employ you in their deceitful tactics so that nobody else knows what a failure they are. And now you are, you are an accomplice in hypocrisy. You are an accomplice in phoniness. And so one of the things that... Um, that we want to say here is you, won't, you don't want to be tied up with someone who's a professional cover-up artist because ultimately they're only deceiving themselves. Remember that. They're only deceiving themselves. They're, they're, you get with people sometimes and they, they convince themselves of alternate realities as if the more, it's, it's kind of like our news casting, our news cycle today. It's like the more you say it, it becomes true. Really? No, it's true or it's false. It doesn't matter how many times you say it. Uh, And we see that in our news cycle. That's so frustrating, but it's even more frustrating in a marriage. And, you know, one of the things that you always see is when someone's covering up is it's like they are the star of their own reality show. They're the hero and they never do anything wrong. They they always know how to spin things to make themselves come out smelling like, like roses. That's hypocrisy. That's phoniness. Um, at its true core. This is an imposter. This is a hypocrite. You can't trust this type of person because you don't know what's reality and what's false. And so you begin to see this in a, in a potential spouse. You need to move on from that potential spouse and start looking for somebody else. You don't need to babysit a phony. You don't need to babysit an imposter. You don't need to encourage hypocrisy. 
by covering up for them. Don't cover up for them and don't cover up for yourself. You know, quite frankly, if I walked in this morning and said, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace, I I would expect everybody in this room that understands the gospel of grace to say, you know what, so am I, come give me a hug. Not, ooh, man, stay away from that guy, right? Of course, you couldn't stay away from me because I'm up front. You had to, (laughs) I guess you could leave. But if you're married to someone like this, you're going to be drawn into this web of deceit. This looking good is going to become more important than being right. Think about that. I just want to look good. I don't care if I'm right. I, don't, I just want to look good to you. I don't care if I'm rightly related to the Lord and in fellowship with him. You find somebody like that, again, let me encourage you. Just what you do is you turn around and you get your feet moving really quickly. It's called running. You, you just take off. You find somebody like that, you take off. They need to be able to take correction. They need to be able to, um, to respond well um, to their faults and failures. A third thing, and this really um, principle applies for disciple making, Proverbs 25, 19, is, is you're looking for a faithful person. Confidence in an unfaithful man, Proverbs 25, 19 says, uh, in Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Confidence means security, safe from danger. You can rely on somebody. You can trust them. You know, one of the things that you find out about unfaithful people is they cannot be relied upon when you need them most. Now, imagine being married to somebody like that when you're going to need them all the time. And you can't trust them. You know, that, that whole concept of a, a, a bad tooth, it means like as you bite into an apple, you're trusting that tooth to kind of slice through to give you that piece of apple, and it just like flings sideways on you. Oh, that's awkward. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before. It's really weird, right? Or you go to, you go to run, and then your foot gives out, and, and it's like someone sniped you, you know, and you, you just crash to the ground. And, and, and it's like this idea that you can't trust that person. You can't put any weight on that person if they're unfaithful. And so, you know, it really begs the question. Um, because if they're unfaithful in certain areas consistently, they're going to be unfaithful in other areas. And how do you look for a faithful person? What is a faithful person? Well, do they, say, do, they do what they say they're going to do? Real simple. You can measure that, right? Hey, what time are you picking me up? 630 7.30 rolls around, nothing, no text, nothing. 7.45, and dude just rolls in like he's on time. What is your problem? That's not faithful. That's, that's not doing what he says he's going to do or what she says she's going to do. And by the way, don't just look for faithfulness to you in doing what they say they're going to do for you. Look at how faithful they are with others. What if you're, you're with them? And you say, hey, weren't you supposed to go help so-and-so move such-and-such at 5 o'clock? And he says, oh, well, yeah, but I'll just tell him later I was busy. That's unfaithfulness. And he just exposed it to you, let you see. And guess what? You're going to be the recipient of that one day if you marry that person. These are the kind of things that we're looking for. Do they show up when they say they're going to show up? Do they listen and stay engaged with you? Do they, do they take time to learn your likes, your dislikes, your fears, concerns? Do they, do they stay engaged and in, in listening in those areas? Do they keep their commitments to others? I kind of mentioned that. 
Can you trust them with sensitive information? By the way, if they share sensitive information about others in front of you, guess what they're going to do about your sensitive information one day? They're going to share it with others about you. Just understand that these principles apply. They don't suddenly become spiritual the moment you slip that ring on their finger. I wish, I wish that when you slip the ring on someone's finger, you could also download a microchip that gave them full ability to walk by faith the rest of their life. Then marriage would be great and we'd be rushing. We'd take, uh, you know, anybody and say, well, I really like this person. Let me, if I could just get that ring on their finger and get that download done, whoo, you know, it's going to be perfect. But it doesn't work that way. And we've got to understand we can't convince ourselves that it does. Let's look at one more principle. And that's this issue of, of pride. And let's just read chapter 16, verses 18 through 19 in Proverbs which says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And then jump right back over to verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 15, which says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. One of the things that you wanna look for in a prospective spouse is somebody that's willing to listen to counsel. Somebody that doesn't think that every decision they make is right regardless of the circumstances. See, the way of a fool uh, is right in his own eyes. And you understand that there are people that exist on this earth that they think every decision they make is the right decision every time. They actually have that level of overconfidence and arrogance to think that they make the right decision every time. See, the, to believe that you're right every time is the epitome of foolishness. And yet, many people are this way. Now, they would never verbalize this. They would never tell you that. They would give you the right answer. Say, oh, of course I'm not right all the time. But the way they live their life, this is how they live it out. That's a fool. And you want to be careful of aligning yourself with a fool. You know, many people confuse strength and confidence with absolute foolishness. Just because somebody is confident and authoritative in their decision doesn't mean they're right. They could say, hey, I think we should walk off this cliff. Okay, see you later. I'm not, I'm not following you. That's a dumb decision. That's a foolish decision. I don't care how authoritative you say it or convincing you are that, that that's the right decision to make. And so this is the kind of thing that we're looking um, for uh, in qualities for those who we want to marry. And, you know, one of the things that I don't think, uh, this is such a negative quality, I don't think we can overemphasize it enough. And it's very observable. It's very observable on a potential spouse. So those are the kind of things that we want to look for. Also notice this, does he heed counsel? Does he or she heed counsel? Do they look to other people when they're making difficult decisions? Do they just make decisions? Not even asking maybe a mentor or somebody that they view as wise. So they just blow out of the gate and make decisions, never check in with any of their authority structures before they make decisions, and they just go that way. That is the most foolish way to live life as a young person. Because as a young person, you have the benefit of people who have gone on before you that have way more wisdom and experience than you do. That you can, And it doesn't mean you have to do everything that they say, but you at least take in counsel. At least add that to your information bank as you're making decisions. And, you know, foolish, proud people won't even get counsel. 
They're just out there making decisions as if they're the first person on earth that's ever faced this situation. And you're not. You're not the first person on earth that have ever faced these kind of decisions. You know, one of the things and reasons this is so important, it just shows that a person doesn't believe. They know everything. You want to find somebody that's a humble learner. You want to find somebody that can learn from OPE. Yeah, you know me. Back night, okay, no. You want to learn from OPE, other people's experience. If all you learn from in your life is your own experience, you will be a fool, right? Don't we want to like, get, you know, the, the bridge is out. Don't we want to like n- not go that way before we fall off the cliff? And, and there's so many opportunities that like a, in life and you have this opportunity, each one of us to learn from other people's experience. So learn from it, take counsel, take opportunity. And so if you've got somebody that's not doing that, that's a red flag, that's an arrogant, proud person. And there's only one way down or one direction for that person. It's down. So does this, and that's something to check into. Does, does the guy or gal that you're interested in have older, more mature men or women in their lives that they listen to and check in with from time to time consistently? Are they willing to be humble? Are they willing to recognize that they might not be seeing everything correctly? Are they willing to take and receive correction? Again, this speaks to their humility. And so, Starting next week, we're going to jump back into those of us that are married. And we're going to actually look at the roles that God has given each one of us in marriage. We'll look at the husbands first. Then we'll look at the wives. And and really, it's going to be a look at the roles from an emphasis on the resources that you possess in Jesus Christ and how you can execute your role more consistently. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your word and just, just all of these wisdom principles and proverbs as it relates to relationships. And Lord, I pray for the, the young people in this room. Finding a spouse is difficult, Lord, but we're grateful that each one in this room, if gifted the gift of marriage, that you've got a plan for them. Lord, and, and may you convince them, each one, that you want to take them by the hand and lead them through this process, that you want to show them things and expose these things with people that they're visiting with, that they're getting to know, Lord, that you would just give them extreme wisdom as they make these decisions. I, I pray that the, the young people in this room would, would be humble, would be willing to seek counsel, would be willing to check in with, with folks who are older that know more than them, that are farther down the path to, to really just guide and direct these, these very difficult and life-changing decisions as it relates to choosing a spouse. Lord, we just lift them up to you and trust their care to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.